This week, we're starting a new series, Teach Us to Pray. We see in the Bible that Jesus talks a lot about prayer, and that's because it's important. To be a disciple means to be in relationship with God, and prayer is our way of communicating with him, of speaking with him, being confident that he hears us. Over this series, we're going to look at examples in the Bible of people praying. We'll see how people called out to God. This should encourage and inspire each of us to really press into our prayer life, to go deeper, to go more thoroughly into praying and speaking with God. It seems a good place to start is the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus gave this prayer, he didn't so much as to want us all to memorize and pray the exact words correctly. He wanted us to see and understand the things that God wants us to pray about, what is important to God. He was teaching us how to pray, not just giving us the words to pray. We can see that the Lord's Prayer is not just a nice set of words to pray on formal occasions. It challenges us in regards to our relationship with God and with others. If you pray it regularly, that's great. Make sure, though, as you pray these words, you're letting the Holy Spirit work within you. Are you living in that close relationship that you have been given? Are you really seeing God as your Father who loves and cares for you? Are you honouring God as holy? Does your life glorify God in all that you do? Are you expectantly looking for God's kingdom to come in all its fullness? doing God's will here and now, and sharing with others the amazing truth of the gospel? Are you asking God for the things that he wants you to have, the needs and concerns that are on his heart? As you pray about forgiveness, is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind people you need to forgive or you need to seek forgiveness from, and also showing you the sin that you need God's forgiveness for? Be active in seeking God's help to avoid temptation, knowing that he will deliver you. And if you don't pray this prayer regularly, make sure in your prayer life that you are covering the things that Jesus taught us to pray about. Prayer and meditation are very close together, and I would suggest that meditation empowers your prayer. Meditation is a way to really get into the heart of God and to get your head around things and the will of God. Let's have a look at a scripture. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. What a great verse. It basically says, if you ask of God in his will, he hears you and he gives you what you pray for. The thing there that really gets us is, in his will. And the question I always used to ask, how do we get to know God's will? And I believe this is in part where meditation comes in. Because as we're going to see, as you meditate, you can move from knowledge to a state of understanding and application. And as you move from knowledge to understanding, it's much easier to pray into a situation. 
We don't want to empty ourselves and leave ourselves empty. What we have to do is empty ourselves and then fill ourselves with God. That's what meditation's about. The Eastern religions, the Eastern way of doing it has a half-truth. It says, get the rubbish out. Christianity brings glory in life because it says, bring life in. Bring in truth, bring in knowledge. Christian meditation is a form of prayer in which we structure ourselves and we get ourselves to get in touch with God, meditate on his glory and to really find truth. It's a deliberate process and takes focus and effort. And if you want to make a difference in the world, you have to be praying in God's will and carrying out God's will. And to do those two things, I'm saying today, meditate. Take the time to get God's word, take it in. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul, he paints a picture of the human condition. And he says this in Romans 1.21. For although they, humankind, knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Paul is saying that the main issue that people tend to face is that they don't praise God or give him thanks. They, the default human response is to not acknowledge God, and that's despite knowing him. Paul would argue that everyone has this innate understanding of God and who he is, that God's qualities, his power, his divine presence, they've been known to, made known to everyone through creation, through his workmanship. He'd say that the complexity of human life, the way that the universe hangs off the, the laws of physics, points to God, it points to a creator. But Paul says that despite those things, people don't praise God for it. Our problems are always smaller than our God, and that's, that's why praise should come first, even in those bad situations, because we tend to forget those qualities that God has. And when that happens, I think we can be fooled into thinking that all that's left are our problems. You know, our focus turns just to everything that's wrong in the world around us, and that doesn't mean that you can't complain. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to express how you're feeling and be honest with God about the things that are wrong in the world. I think you absolutely should do that, and there's a biblical mandate to do those sorts of things. This also isn't pretending like your problems aren't real or they're not important. The problems you face are real, and they're often very important. God is always bigger than our problems. But often our perspective doesn't let us see that. We forget to see God for who he really is. And our focus shifts from God to everything that's wrong in the world. But really, we should be focusing on everything that's good and perfect about God. Start by turning every good thing into thanks. Everything that you find happiness in, everything that you find beauty in or satisfaction, everything that you enjoy, whether it's a, a beautiful view, delicious food, a piece of music, turn, turn all those things into thanks. Thank God for how happy it's made you. And then let that lead you to ask yourself a few questions. Ask yourself, what kind of God would create this good thing? What kind of God would give me this good thing? And let that ground you in God's nature, in his, in his character, and ponder God's qualities that come with those things. What Habakkuk faces is so familiar. 
and we're going to unpack that this morning. He faces a situation, he faces circumstances that make him cry out to God saying, God, where are you? God, why are you not doing anything? Why does it appear that you aren't at work? God, why are you allowing these terrible things to happen? That's Habakkuk's cry. And I would say that many of us go through seasons, and maybe that's your season now, where that is our cry as well, where we are calling out to God saying, God, where are you? God, why are you not seemingly at work in my life? And so we're going to unpack this this morning because Habakkuk's story and his prayer that's contained in this book is a picture of hope. It's a picture of joy. Habakkuk says, God, even though I can't see the results of your promise, even though I can't see the results yet of your greatness, even though those things aren't apparent, I will still rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will still rejoice in the God who has promised that he will set me free. I will still rejoice in you. And when he does this, what occurs, he says, God gives me strength. I become not mired in the mud, not mired in the muck, not confused, not lost anymore, but rather I'm as sure-footed as a deer, that I'm able to tread upon the heights. You see, what is now determining Habakkuk's spirit is no longer his situation Because remember, that hasn't changed yet. But what is determining the state of his spirit is God's greatness and God's faithfulness. I wonder if you've had a moment in your life where you felt like it's a Habakkuk moment, where you've cried out to God and you've said, God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing something? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why haven't you intervened? And I wonder, maybe even that's the question that you're asking this morning. Maybe you're going through that season, that Habakkuk season at the moment, and you're saying, God, where are you? God, why haven't you done something? And there's power here because it reminds us that we can be vulnerable. We can be open with God. We can go to him and know that he will respond in gentleness and compassion, that he hears the cries of our hearts. I thought it would be great to look at the book of Job and in particular how Job himself prayed and I think that shows us a really powerful example of what it looks like to bring your prayers to God in the midst of severe pain and suffering and through his prayer I think we find the answer to one of life's big questions is it possible to be content in life despite your circumstances right and I think that's a really relevant question to ask in today's world because I'd argue that most people would say it's only possible to be content, content rather, if everything is going your way. The book of Job answers the question it posed to us at the start. Is it possible to be content in life despite your circumstances? I'd say yes, but only through prayer. That contentment, it ultimately comes from trusting in God's wisdom, from living in fear of the Lord. That's where it comes from. But The point I want to stress to you here is that Job gets to that place through prayer. When Job lost everything and everyone in his life, including his health, he cries out to God in this agonised prayer, in prayers of lament. And at the end of the book, we're told that God approves of this. God says that Job has spoken accurately about him, which is kind of surprising because we know that Job drew those hasty and wrong conclusions about who God is. 
But what I take from that is that despite those things, God still approves of Job's wrestling. He approves of how Job came honestly before him with all of his pain, with all of his emotion, and just simply wanted to talk to God himself. God says that's the right way to process this kind of pain and emotion through prayer. Because through that prayer, God was also able to speak. Right? Prayer isn't just a one-way street. When we pray, we should be expecting God to speak to us as well. And for Job, when God spoke, Job saw him more clearly. And the more clearly Job saw who God was, the greater his love for him became. And he was able to respond to God by moving from those agonised prayers of lament into a place where he could praise, into a place where he could confess and repent. Right? And through prayer, Job learnt to trust in God's wisdom. He learnt to live with the fear of the Lord, and with that, he gained contentment.